This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to our program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today we're going to continue our studies in the book of First Thessalonians. We're in chapter 3 today. Paul assured the Thessalonians that he and Silas and Timothy had desired to visit with them, but Satan had hindered them in some way. And we find that there in the end of chapter 2, whenever he was hindered by Satan coming to them. He assured the Thessalonians that they were their hope, joy, and crown. Now, in chapter 3, he continues to discuss the writer's interest in the Thessalonians. First of all, we're going to look at the mission of Timothy. And that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Timothy was sent by Paul to Thessalonica, and Paul was anxious to learn how things were going with the young church there in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2, he said, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. <clears throat> now, it looks like it's an editorial we whenever Paul says, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear. Because after Paul, Timothy, and Silas were sent to Berea, Paul went on to Athens, and Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. In Acts chapter 17, verses 13 through 15, Acts chapter 17, verses 13 through 15, it says, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, Paul wanted Silas and Timothy to meet him in Athens, but that didn't work out. When we look at Acts chapter 17, verse 16, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And then, you know, we read about the various things there that, that Paul said and things that happened to him in Athens. Then we go to Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Acts chapter 18, verse 1, it says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, verse 5, it says, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, 
Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. All right, so when Timothy and Silas came to Paul in Corinth, we see that Timothy was sent to Thessalonica. Again, looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Uh, Paul could no longer bear the anxiety he had for the church in Thessalonica, so he sent Timothy there to see how things were going. Uh, Timothy was a brother in Christ. Paul uses an affectionate term there to describe Timothy. Timothy was also a minister of God. The word minister there is translated from the Greek word diakonos. Thayer describes or Theokonos or defines Theokonos in this way. One who executes the commands of another, especially of a master, a servant, attendant, minister. So the sphere in which Timothy was a servant of God was in the gospel of Christ. Timothy's mission to Thessalonica was to establish and comfort them in their faith. The word established there, the Greek word translated established, Thayer defines as to make stable, place firmly, set fast, and fix. So he went there to see how firm their faith was and to establish them in the faith of the gospel. But also Timothy was sent there to comfort them. Uh, the Greek word translated comfort, Thayer gives his second definition this. To address, speak to, call to, call upon, which may be done in the way of exhortation, entreaty, comfort, instruction, etc. So Timothy's mission to Thessalonica was to establish and comfort them in their faith. Now Raymond Kelsey on page 65 of his book that we've been quoting stated this, Timothy then was to confirm the Thessalonians in their present manner of life, and he was to speak to them in such a way that they would be comforted in their afflictions and encouraged to renewed efforts. He was to strengthen their faith and encourage them in such a way as to benefit or promote their faith. So that was Timothy's mission there to Thessalonica. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul tells them, don't be moved by the afflictions that you're facing. The verse says, 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Uh, the verb translated move there means to flatter or to wag the tail. Uh, Kelsey on page 66 of his book wrote this, and I quote again. Paul has the fear that certain false teachers might with flattery in a gesture of pretended friendliness as a dog might wag its tail when seeking friendship 
move the Thessalonians away from their faith, unquote. <clears throat> so they were coming in looking really kind and loving and things like that, but they were going to move them away from their faith. Paul fears that because of the afflictions that the Thessalonians they were facing. They might be tricked into leaving the faith because of the actions there of these false teachers. Paul reminds the Thessalonian Christians that Christians are appointed to suffer afflictions. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4 says, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. So in this verse, Paul is just telling them, When we were with you, we told you it was going to happen. And it happened while they were there. That's why they were rushed out of the city of Thessalonica, even as he says there, even as it came to pass. And you know that. Uh, Jesus, in John chapter 15, 19, warned of the very same thing. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, John 15, 19. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The world hates those that have turned their lives over to Jesus Christ. Whenever you look over in 1 Peter chapter 4, and you begin reading there in verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, reveling, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Now notice verse 4. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Whenever someone turns their life over to Jesus Christ, the world, those worldly friends they had, may as it said there in 1 Peter 3, speak evil of them because they don't understand. Why aren't you doing those things with us anymore? Are you too good for us to do that? What's, what's your problem? Well, they turn their life over to Jesus Christ and they're not going to live in that lifestyle anymore. <laughs> Paul there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Again, that's 2 Timothy 3.12. So the Thessalonians had no reason to be surprised because of the tribulation they were having to endure. It's the nature for the wicked to persecute the followers of God. And why is that? Well, because the wicked are following their father, the devil, and the devil is the arch enemy of God and our arch enemy as well. Now, persecution, though, brings blessings. I want to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, first of all, through in the King James Version, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, and then I want to look at it in the literal translation of the Bible. And again, this is regarding persecution brings blessings. 
Romans 5, 3 and 4 from the King James Version. <clears throat> and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And then go ahead and read verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now, it says there in verse 4, patience, experience. The word experience there means approval. Now, let's go to Romans 5, 3, and 4 from the literal translation of the Bible. It says, and not only so, but we glory also in afflictions, knowing that affliction works out patience, and patience works out proven character, and proven character hope. So whenever we endure the afflictions, the suffering, the tribulation that is coming out our coming our way, that works out proven character. Our character shows through, and our proven character there gives hope, the hope of the life that is to come. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, we'll go back to there now, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, we see Paul's earnest care in sending Timothy to Thessalonica. <clears throat> he says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. <clears throat> Excuse me. You'll notice that Paul uses the word I here instead of we to show his personal care for the Thessalonians. He goes, when I could no longer forbear, I wanted to know how is your faith? Has the devil tempted you in some way that caused you to leave the faith and that their labor there would be in vain? Marvin Weir in the 1988 Denton Lectures on page 99 of that book, made this statement, and I quote, Paul was clearly concerned about the faith of the brethren in Thessalonica and whether they had yielded to the devil's temptations to apostatize from the truth. The devil is still out to get us. He's out to devour us. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil is still out there walking to and fro upon the earth seeking whom he may devour. Go over to the book of Job, and let's look there in chapter 2, or chapter 1, first of all. Chapter 1 of Job, verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. He's still walking about, seeking whom he may devour. 
And then we go to chapter 2 of the book of Job, verse 2, Job 2, 2. says, The Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? <clears throat> and Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. He was doing it in the days of Job, and he's doing it in our day as well seeking whom he may devour. The word devour there comes from a Greek word that Strong's defines as to gulp down. He wants to gulp us down like a roaring lion would gulp its prey. And Satan <clears throat> will take advantage of us if we are not aware of his devices. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, right there, the word devices comes from a Greek word that Strong's defines this way. Perception. That is, purpose, or by implication, the intellect disposition itself. Sorry, I had a little hiccup there. But now we know Satan's devices. We know his perception. We know his purpose. We know his intellect. We know he will try to get us to sin in one of the three ways there that John mentions in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 16, we'll look at verses 15 and 16. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if a man or any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the devil is trying to get us through these lusts. The word lust there in 1 John 2.16 is comes from a Greek word that means longing for what is forbidden. So the devil knows our weaknesses, and that's where he's going to attack. Each one of us are tempted in different avenues, I guess you could say. You know, the temptation might be strong for one individual, not, not even come into the mind of another one. But something else may tempt that individual that wouldn't even tempt the other individual. The devil knows what he is doing, and he will take advantage of us if we are not on the lookout for what he does. Paul warned the Corinthians about this very same thing over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He had that concern for the Corinthian brethren, and he had that same concern for the brethren there in Thessalonica. He wanted to make sure their faith was grounded so that that could not happen. Now, we are warned not to give place to the devil, 
Ephesians 4.27. It says, Neither give place to the devil. Thayer says that the Greek word defined place there, or translated place there, defined this way. Opportunity, power, occasion for acting. Do not give the devil an occasion for acting. Uh, something we need to do is found over in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11. Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Instead of going along beside those unfruitful works of darkness, and you know, Galatians chapter 5 there, starting in verse 19, gives a list there of the works of the flesh. Don't get involved in those things. Don't give the devil an occasion for you acting in that way. But what are we to do? We are to avoid those things and we are to speak against them. Speak out against them. We are to wear the whole armor of God to be able to stand against the devil's trickery. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11, says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he gives the armor of God, continuing on in verse 12. But we need to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles there comes from a Greek word that Thayer defines this way. Cunning arts, deceit, craft, trickery. We need to be standing against those things. We know his deceit. We know his craft. We know his trickery. Because this is what he did to Eve. He tricked her into eating that fruit that God had forbidden them to eat. Because he came in. You think about it. Just like that dog wagging his tail to offer friendship. He came in to Eve there, and let's look at just a little bit there in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, how the devil did this. Genesis chapter 3, starting there in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he's placing a question there. He's coming in. He's not saying he's a false teacher. He's not saying I'm trying to get you to sin. He just said, Hey, Eve, has God said you can't eat of every tree of the garden? Her reply, verse 2, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. All right. Statement of fact. We can't eat of that tree. We can't touch it. We need to leave it alone. That's what God said. Verse 4, The serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. Right there. You know, Had Adam and Eve ever experienced or seen death? No. They didn't know what death was. 
the devil said, that's not going to happen. That's a horrible thing. But that's not going to happen to you. You're not going to die if you eat of that tree. And, and then he gives this reason. He's still like that dog wagging his tail for friendship. Verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You see, Eve, God doesn't want you to eat of that tree, not because you're going to die, but because he doesn't want you like him. Because if you eat of that tree, wonderful things are going to happen. You're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. Uh, Eve, do you know what good is? Eve, do you know what evil is? You eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll know. You'll be just like God. That dog wagging its tail for friendship. And of course, verse 6, Then when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Adam didn't try to stop it. He could have, but he didn't. They both fell there. They both sinned because they fell for the deceit of the devil. And that's what Paul does not want to happen to the church there in Thessalonica. Now, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, there is great joy over the news that was brought by Timothy from Thessalonica there to Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10. First, we see Timothy's encouraging report there in verse 6. It says, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. So there's a contrast coming, oh, but. And he says, now. You look up the word now in the Greek, and there defines it just now. This moment. It shows that Paul was writing the letter at the very time that Timothy came with his great news. Paul wanted to write back to them and show his intense interest and concern for them. He wanted them to get it right now. You think about it, a delayed writing could show a lack of concern for them, but that's not what Paul was do doing. Timothy brought good news about the faith of the Thessalonians, and Paul wanted to let them know how great news that really was. Now, we have peace there with God because of our faith. Romans 5.1, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have peace with God because of our faith, our obedience there 
to God in obeying his commandments. So he had great news there. He said, you desire to see us. We were desiring to see you. And being by being faithful, we will be saved eternally, <clears throat> just as those in Thessalonica, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which ye also have received, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. <clears throat> uh, Brother Darrell Conley there in the 1988 Denton Lecture book, and this is on page 105, made this statement. It is our faith that enables us to be victorious over sin and temptation, over discouragement and disappointment, over pain and even death, unquote. Our faith. Our faith must be a strong faith. Just to, Our faith should bring good tidings, just like the faith of the Thessalonians did. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, <clears throat> 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. John wrote, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. <clears throat> our faith will bring us victory in the end. If we remain faithful to God in this life, we win. God will has promised eternal life for those who live faithfully to him and he will deliver. Now what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. <clears throat> the word substance there, a substructure. It's what upholds us. Faith is what upholds us of things that are hoped for. You know, God has promised us eternal life there in heaven with him, and we hope for that. And then it says it's the evidence of things not seen. We haven't seen heaven. We haven't seen God. We look around at God's creation, <clears throat> and we see evidence for God. We see the evidence there, and it is up to us. It is our responsibility to seek God. You go over to Acts chapter 17 and begin reading there in verse 24. Acts chapter 17, verse 24, and we're going to read down through verse 28. <clears throat> it says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Now notice verse twenty seven that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, 
as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So right there, God set all these things in motion, and then we, it is our responsibility, seeing there is a supreme being who created everything around us, we need to seek him. We need to feel after him. We need to try to find him. And he ain't far from any one of us, is he? You go back to Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. You look at the creation, you know God exists. Only those who are unwilling to change their lives would not believe that God lives and exists. But right there, that the evidence of things not seen, back in the Hebrews 11, 1, there is evidence that God exists, and we can know he exists, but the only way to find out what he wants of us, what he wants us to do is to go to his word, the Bible. <clears throat> now, Timothy brought good news about the love of the Thessalonians as well. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 again. Now when, but now when Timotheus came from you to us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. So they had an agape love, a self-sacrificial love for God. And their love for God was robust desire to please him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. <clears throat> we'll look at this again, Lord willing, in the next lesson a little more. But 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. It says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So they wanted to live and please God. That's what their love for God won't cause them to want to do. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. You know, that's all he expects of us, to love him. And if we love him, Jesus said in John 14, 15, 14, 14, 15, I get this right. In John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's how we prove our love for him, by obeying what he has told us to do. <clears throat> now, the Thessalonians, they not only loved God, not only loved Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they loved each other. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 now. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10 says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. So they loved one another as well. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. You see, the Thessalonians loved Paul through their remembrance of him and their great desire to see him, and they loved him and Silas and Timothy, and they also loved each other. Whenever we see the things that it talked about there in First John, First uh, Thessalonians four, and again we'll get into that more next week, Lord willing, or next lesson. Now, because of the good news that Timothy brought, Paul was comforted, even in the affliction he was facing at this time in Corinth, and in other places he had faced uh, great affliction as well. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. All right, well, what was Paul going through in Corinth? Again, Corinth was the place where the letter to the Thessalonians was written. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 18, we look at verses 1 through 10 and we see the things that were going on in Corinth whenever Paul was there. Acts 18, 1 through 10. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. Verse 3. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought. For by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Now verse 7. And when he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justus, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue, in other words, it's right next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set hurt to thee, for I have much people in this city. So they were comforted there in this affliction that they were going through in Corinth, they were comforted by the faith of the Thessalonians. Raymond Kelsey on page 72 of his book on 1 Thessalonians wrote this, and I quote, Paul had come into the black night of the paganism of Corinth without money and without friends. He was soon under vicious attack by the Jews of that city, unquote and the faithfulness of the Thessalonians helped him bear that affliction. Now the faithfulness of others helps give our lives purpose and meaning. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 8, <clears throat> Paul relates this, 1 Thessalonians 3, 8. 
For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. It is a fact from human nature that we take courage from one another. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, whenever we look at the assembling of ourselves together, whether that's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, whenever the midweek service may be, <clears throat> if we're not there, we can't encourage one another. We can't exhort one another. We can't have the fellowship that we need to have to stay faithful. And we need to encourage one another every day. Now there, he said, so much the more as you see the day approaching, a lot of different things there on the day approaching, but the one that makes the most sense is that the day was approaching probably within the next two years of the writing there of Hebrews, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman army. They would need encouraging if you know, their capital city was going to be destroyed. Their nation was going to be destroyed, and they needed to encourage one another to be faithful. Because as the song says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. They needed to understand that this world is not all there is. And even if their nation was destroyed, they could be faithful to God. Kelsey again on page 73 of his book stated this. The construction, and I quote, the construction of the sentence could be translated, since you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul suggests that they will continue to see life with all its fullness and power if the Thessalonians continue to stand fast in the Lord, unquote. Paul was filled with joy and happiness because of the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 3, 9. He says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. You know, hard circumstances had not hardened Paul. He expressed his heartfelt thanks and the great joy that the Thessalonians brought to him. The word joy there comes from a Greek word that Strong's defines this way. To be full of cheer, that is, calmly happy or well off. It just brought cheer to Paul whenever he learned how well the Thessalonians were doing. It made him calmly happy. Now, he instructed the Thessalonians also to rejoice always and be thankful. Later on in the same book here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, he says, Rejoice evermore. Paul was rejoicing because of them, and he's telling them to rejoice because they're going through afflictions, yes. So did Jesus Christ. They're following his example and they would be with him someday. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, 
in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thank God for the good times, yes. Thank God for the hard times as well, because that makes us stronger, makes us better servants in the kingdom of God. And Paul, Timothy, and Silas make their desire known to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. <clears throat> now the word translated praying there is not one of the normal words that's used for prayer. This word shows a sense for personal need. Now, the normal words for prayer, <clears throat> prosuke, Thayer defines, a, excuse me, Strong's defines this prayer or worship. Deasis, the second word, normal word for prayer, means a pitch, uh, petition. The word that is used here <clears throat> in this verse is deamai. It means, according to Strong's, to beg as binding oneself, that is position. Or petition, not position, petition. So their prayers for the Thessalonians were constant, night and day. They wanted to see the Thessalonians face to face, and they wanted to perfect what they were lacking in their faith. The word perfect there comes from the Greek word katarizo. Strong's defines katarizo this way, to complete thoroughly. That is, repair literally or figuratively or adjust. So what they're looking at this, they wanted to complete the faith, what was lacking in the faith of the Thessalonians, complete it thoroughly. They wanted to make sure they had all they needed. Again, quoting Kelsey on page 75 of his book, Paul has something like this in mind, something that would help bring the young Christians to a state of maturity as he prays to God to grant him a visit to Thessalonica, unquote. So the, you know, there was a young church. It was an immature church. There were things that were lacking. And Paul and Timothy and Silas wanted to come to help them in that way, to help bring what they were lacking to their faith, perfect it. Now in verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, we see good wishes and prayers there for the church in Thessalonica. First of all, there is a, the appeal to God to bring them to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 3.11. 1 Thessalonians 3.11. It says, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Now, something else this verse shows, it shows that God the Father and the Lord Jesus both have the power in directing our lives through providence. 
And that's what Paul is asking. That's what his prayer here is. For God the Father and the Lord Jesus to direct their way to the Thessalonians. Again, quoting Kelsey on page 77, I quote, The verb direct expresses a petition, a function of the Greek optative mood. Quite noticeable in the original is the fact that the verb is singular even though it has a plural subject. This gives emphasis to the unity of the Father and the Son, unquote. They were unified in the prayer there to God the Father, and also we see there that they wanted the Lord Jesus Christ to direct their way as well. Now, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians is found in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Paul desires that their love increases and abounds one another uh, toward one another and toward all others as well. He desired that their love for one another continue to grow as the love that Paul has for them continues to grow as well. And again, the word love there is agape. That designates the highest form of love. Kelsey on page 77 stated this, and I quote him again. It is that love which looks upon others with consideration and regard, which desires that which is good for them, and which is willing to give of self to promote their good. It does not demand that its object be worthy, unquote. You know, the word agape is the same word that John 3.16 uses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And isn't that kind of love that God has for us and it shows we don't have to be worthy to deserve it. God did it just because he loves us, not because we deserved it in any way. The purpose for the Lord making the Thessalonians to increase and to abound in love is found in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. 1 Thessalonians 3.13. To the end that to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in the whole or in holiness before God even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Alright, the purpose for make the Lord making Thessalon the Thessalonians to increase and abound in love, that their hearts may be established. An abounding love will make firm and strengthen their spirits. To make them unblameable, that describes the condition of the blameless heart. To make them holy in holiness specifies that the one who has an unblameable heart is set apart 
for the service of God. Their lives are to show that they are living day by day in the realization that the Lord will return someday and if they are living faithfully to God, they will stand blameless before Jesus the judge. Now, it mentions there that the Lord Jesus Christ, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, with all his saints may return or refer to the faithful who have already died. It may refer to the angels or it may refer to both. The word saints just means holy ones. All right, considering those who, the faithful who have died, 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and arose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Those would be saints. Those would be holy ones. But also in 2 Thessalonians 1.7 it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, his mighty messengers. They are holy ones as well. So it could refer to both the faithful saints who have passed from this life and the angels that will come at the second coming. So 1 Thessalonians 3. It's a wonderful chapter showing the great love that Paul, Timothy, and Silas had for the Thessalonians. It shows the great love and joy that we should have for one another as we work together to get to heaven. It shows the dependence we have on God to help us in many ways as we strive to be pleasing to him. Again, this is Don Boyd with the Blue with the Blue Spring. I used to be at Blue Springs. I'm with the Moody Church Christ now, and want to welcome you to come to our services if you are ever in the Moody, Missouri area. Uh, we're located on the corner there on Highway E in Moody, Missouri, and there's only one corner there, so you can't miss us. Where we are, times of services are Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Bible class and at 11 o'clock for worship service and then again at 6 o'clock Sunday evening for worship service and then our midweek service is Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock as well. So if you're ever able to be with us, we want to invite you to come and be with us and we want to thank you for being with us today and we look forward to seeing you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.